1839, above Dublin. Hovering above the eastern coast, Dublin a shadow beyond the wing of the plain, we are meandering, stalling. And it feels like how I feel about home, waiting at the edges of things, wondering when to enter, when to make myself comfortable, and how long to stay. The water is flat from this angle, current stretch marking across the turquoise heave of it with the oil slick sheen of spoilt bacon. Familiar cliffs cast shadows onto a quiet sea, and for a moment the island hovers above the water until the wind flicks the waves awake along the exposed beaches at low tide, where the sand swirls and settles, reminiscent of fortunes in Turkish coffee cups from another life. I think about marriage and commitment and islands. I think about what it means to stay, what it would feel like flying into a different airport, taking in a different coastline with a different accent, held tight in a jaw clenched with guilt, but maybe ready for the salt of something new. I arrived in Ireland in 2012, certainly not ready for anything new. I was forced to move countries on very short notice due to the UK's restrictive immigration policies. Over a decade later, despite the Irish government's best efforts, I have managed to stick around and make a home for myself. The world of literature and art here in Ireland is where I felt the strongest sense of belonging, in particular as part of the Irish poetry scene. Mine is just one of many voices that have emerged in recent years as Irish poetry finally begins to embrace its community of poets from other parts of the world. In this programme, we hear from six poets from four continents, Paulina Cosgrave and Simona Sa from Europe, Rafael Mendez from South America, Nithi Kassa and Dagogo Hart from Africa, and I'm Chandrika Narayanan Mohan, representing the Asian contingent today. We've all had to find our own ways to balance our relationship with Ireland, with our connection to the countries where we're born or have lived before, to wrestle with issues of identity and belonging, and to find a home in the world of Irish poetry. I am Simona Sav, and I come from Romania, from the exotic part called Transylvania, <laughs> which actually scares people a little bit when I tell them that. And I've been in Ireland for seven years now. Moving to a country always has its moments of culture shock. The things you take for granted as the norm are suddenly different from what you're used to. Well, I think the first big difference that struck me was difference in humour. Um, and, you know, it takes a while to get accustomed to the banter or the, or, or the crack or sometimes you would feel that you were being made fun of, but it's all very friendly and all very nice. Um, that's that's. I suppose the first one. The second one is difference in traditions, uh, difference in the way people um, interpret, I don't know, some, some of the holidays or what's associated with Christmas or what's associated even with the National Day and what's associated with, with the cultural heritage of their own history. Twilight, twilight, twilight. 
Christmas obviously is a, is a big holiday, it's a big celebration in Romania as well. Now, when I was growing up, there was still echoes of that fear of having any religious symbols associated with Christmas because during communism, there was nothing allowed about religion or about, you know, the birth of Jesus or anything, anything around that. It was all about Santa Claus and presents and things like that. Whereas here in Ireland, you still have the crib, you still have, you know, it displayed not only in churches, but also public places. So that's, that is, you know, a big, big difference. One of Simona Sav's poems addresses the search for home and belonging, something that can continue to echo through even the most peaceful of moments. Some of the poems that I write would obviously explore that theme of trying to find a new home, trying to belong. Um, one of the poems that I I loved writing and I love reading is called The Song of the Bird That Does Not Belong. Perched on top of a tiller, it took a side glance at me. Nothing was stirring the canal, and the echo of my footsteps on the pathway had long since died. I leaned in. Three shadows ruled over the dark water. A boat, a woman, and a bird. None willing to break the silent song of those who travel far to find their home. Another poet who has found a home here in Ireland is Rafael Mendes. My name is Rafael Mendes. I'm originally from Brazil. I've been in Ireland for almost seven years now. Like Simona, Rafael has been struck by differences between Ireland and the country of his birth. In this case, in regards to rituals and customs around death. These observations can spark a poem, sometimes in unusual places. We are here today at the Glasnevin Cemetery and it's a quiet morning, birds are singing. And I'm going to read a poem that's called Glasnevin Cemetery. And this poem was written one day after one day I was passing by by bus going to work. And I saw some balloons uh, ebbing inside the cemetery. And I start to think about differences of how Ireland and Brazil relate or deal with death. Because in Ireland, in here, Nicholas Nevin Cemetery, you have tours, you have tourists coming over and walking over the cemetery every day. Whereas in Brazil, that will never happen. And it's just interesting to see two countries that are extremely Catholic and how they deal differently with death. The poem goes like this. Glasnevin Cemetery. One here, two there. Another is far off, lost among the marbles, Celtic crosses, and the trees. They ebb and flow in red, blue, and gray, lulled by the first brisk gust of the oncoming winter. The eye can't see a moving body, just the balloons. For believers, they are inverted anchors hoisting dead souls to the ethereal and eternal heaven. For others, they are nothing less than a failed attempt to erect dulls and flowers over the dead, to embellish grief 
with plastic mementos. I've lived in India, North America, Turkey and Sweden, but I moved here from the UK after living there for seven years. I remember being almost disappointed by the lack of culture shock on arrival. But that was a very superficial impression, and I quickly realised that this is a wildly different culture. I'd never fully realised how much of English culture is embedded in the imperialist mindset. But when I could compare it with Ireland, I saw that everything from humour, ways of communicating, community events, so much of it comes from a much older culture, from rebelling against a colonising force, from intergenerational trauma, and the complicated relationship of trying to protect and hold what came before while forging a new identity for the future. Simona Sav speaks to that exact tension with her poetry regarding her cultural identity. I lived in several countries before moving to Ireland and I found that it's very easy to try to fit into the point where you step away from your identity and you become too deeply enmeshed or ingrained in the new culture. So for my own kind of identity or continuity, I I make sure to bring things from home that remind me of who I am, where I grew up, what my family is. So one of the few things that I brought are my mother's hand-stitching, traditional Romanian hand-stitching work. And she would have done that a lot when I was growing up. And I brought some of them over with me. Um, So I have them around the house. And one of them, it combines a flower pattern and also a star pattern. And it plays with red and black. It plays with the contrast of those on a white background and it, it's meant to symbolize hope and it's meant to symbolize life because of the vivacity of the color red. And the other one is my mother playing with the shamrock um, and it's actually a lovely pattern of shamrocks on the side and in the middle there's also a little bit of a flower that goes onto red, yellow and blue, the colors of the Romanian flag. For Simona, displaying these small pieces of embroidered cloth is a way of anchoring herself in a sense of home. Like Simona, I've lived in multiple countries before moving to Ireland. As someone from two generations of diplomats, I have no real sense of home or national identity, so I have to anchor myself in other ways. For me, it's photos of my family and my best friends who live around the world, or one or two books I've kept with me since I was a teenager. It's only when I visit my family members that I see our past clearly, through the familiar furniture and items they have in their homes. I hope to one day bring some of those items into a permanent home I'll have for myself. My name is Dagogo Hart. I'm a Dublin-based poet, writer, performer, playwright. Yeah, I love, I love words. Dagogo Hart was a teenager when he first arrived here from Nigeria. I came when I was 16 in 2002. 10, yeah. Um, I was in Tralee for a year, then I studied pharmacy in UCC in Cork for four years, and then I moved to Dublin after that for work. Dagogo describes himself as a 9-to-5 pharmacist, but a 24-7 poet, and he started writing early in life. When I first started writing, I was writing rap verses. I was part of a, a rap group when I was in secondary school in Nigeria. 
and it kind of just naturally transitioned to poetry in when I was in college, when I was in university in Cork. I moved to Dublin in 2015 after college and like I always knew I wanted to be involved in like performance poetry and slam poetry and so uh, I just went to Facebook when we used Facebook back then and I just typed um, slam poetry Dublin and this thing came out called Slam Sunday. It's no longer a thing but it was a poetry slam competition that happened on the first Sunday of every month and you sign up uh, you perform, you compete amongst other like poets in, in Dublin. And I think the winner got, I think it was 50 euros, something like that. But my first time performing was that. And I came, I think I came second or third. I can't remember. I think it was second. That was the big like kickoff for, for myself in, in performance poetry. My performance testing. Is there any question? I'm the most interested in the best things, the best things. Cardiac arresting your chest and... now not only performs his poetry, but also, in collaboration with Felicia Olasanya, you may know her as Feli Speaks, and Samuel Yakura, is adding to the live poetry scene. Together, the three of them form the We Are Griot Collective and run their own live events called Talkatives. The whole point of Talkatives was for you to come, try your poems. If you're good enough, you see that you're good enough. If you get to the later rounds or if you win, something like that. First of all, you're in We Are Griot sites. We know you exist. And second of all, there's other people there that uh also kind of like recruiting and trying to find like new writers and new you know performers and it just gives you confidence to know that you can do it as well dagogo has found the world of spoken word and slam poetry open and welcoming and the other well i say the older sections of of irish poetry have have also been quite um open to allowing this emerging forms of poetry, especially performance poetry and slam poetry. They've been very open to allowing these new forms of poetry to exist and to be a thing and giving it a, a place and space and financial backing even when possible. Unfortunately, not all sections of Irish society have been as welcoming as the spoken word and slam poetry scene. Dagogo has written about the experience of his friend Toby, a fellow Nigerian, and how he and his family have had to deal with people's prejudices and preconceptions. He left a very good job in Nigeria to come here just because his wife was here and he's he's taking steps backwards. When everyone else is looking at moving abroad as, you know, you're coming to exploit a system and stuff like that, we're like, no, this isn't, this isn't always the case. Most times it's not the case, everyone. It's not the stories of these people. Yeah, some people are coming here for the safety, but some people are also coming here because they're trying to connect with family and loved ones. And it's a story that a lot of Irish people can relate to. Like when you take away like skin color and all these things, like you realize that our stories are not that different. And that's that's the whole point of Toby's home. Here is a section of Dagogo's poem, Toby's Home. When I asked them what is home, they say home is a place safe enough for you to be vulnerable. So even when the bad comes, when patients you're trying to help hate you for no reason, when employers see your skin as more trouble than it is worth, you do not break. You know as long as there is sunshine and rainfall, there will always be a rainbow of people of different kinds. The good, the bad, 
downright human. Somewhere amongst the shuffle of labels, we try to define a people, a place, Irish, Ireland. To some, it is skin and blood and the roots that tie us to this soil. But for others, it is a shared humanity. It is heart and soul and the kindness of strangers. It is the patience that showed gratitude. It is their landlord who used his influence to help Toby look for a job. It is learning to grow thick skin and thicker lips to speak up for yourself. It is Chucky Allah and Inshallah in the same sentence. The Tobys have two children now. A shuffle of labels. Irish. Nigerian, black, girl. But they know nothing of its complexities. To them, home is their father's arms. Love is their mother's laugh. And Ireland is a combination of alphabets they're still coming to grasp with. Ireland has its own complicated relationship with language, and for many of those moving here from other places, particularly former colonies, linguistics is a loaded subject. For a poet like Nithi Kassa, who was born in the Democratic Republic of Congo and came to Ireland with her family when she was a schoolgirl, asking, what's your first language, is a complex question. There's multiple tribes, so each one of them would have a language or a dialect of their own, really. And I was born in the countryside, so where I was born, we spoke Kikongo, which is the language of the Bakongo tribe. It's a, it's a tribe that's um, kind of spread across the west of Africa. You have the Dior Congo, you have the Republic of Congo, you have Angola, you have Gabon. All of that used to be one kingdom before the colonies happened and they had to split it. But that would be the language I had. But I would have had the DOC's main native tongue, Lingala. The people who spoke it, it's where the capital is now located. And that's made it more influential nationwide. So it is uh, the number one language that the whole country would speak. So I'm not really sure which one came first. But then French... We had the Belgian as the colonizers. So, of course, when they left, they left the French-speaking system in the country. So French would have still be, uh, still to this day, is the language of a government, uh, schooling, and all of the official stuff. But having said that, at the same time, it's, uh, it's not as influential as English. It's never really took over the country like English took over Ireland. When Niffy arrived in Ireland with her family as a young girl, she lived first in Galway and had to learn yet another language, English. I think children don't care <laughs> when they're learning a new language. And I was very young when I came here. Like I would have spent all my teenage years in Ireland. So I was that young when I came. And uh, being among, amongst children, we're not that self-conscious about the language. So it wouldn't have been hard at all for me now. As a writer who's storytelling in what is at least her fourth language, Niffy is attuned to the nuances of language and its implications for how we communicate. Accents. My accent lingered at bay, bleaching its skin, hips tucked into a corset, chewing English. 
It's cleansed its feet with the salty water, then sat on a boulder, talking to itself, instructing the tongue how to pronounce what it would do otherwise. They will know you got here by boat, not by bicycle. The days spent passing verbs through a needle zerb, knitting phrases, the pricking made you kneel to your toddler's self. I came to send this trouble away. English is not mine to keep. With English historically being a language of oppression, over time writers from Ireland and other countries have found ways to reclaim it. For some writers, it has even become a liberating force for their work. Here's Simona Sav again. I find it quite interesting that it's easier for me to write in English than it is to write in Romanian. In, in some ways, I find the richness of English language um, very freeing, very liberating. And Simona has found another element of life in Ireland liberating. We are in Dunleary, in the Coal Harbour, and we're actually on site of the St Michael's Rowing Club. This is a, a wooden boat, it's a wooden skiff. Um, there's five seats um, and every single one of them has a unique role. So the one that I usually row is, is this one, which is called the stroke seat. And the stroke has the, the important responsibility of leading everybody else. The stroke imposes the timing. So the stroke has to be consistent. The stroke has to be like a metronome. So it, you have to be very well contained and focus on your breathing and make sure that you are consistent and that you're a good leader for the entire crew. Getting involved in this local activity has contributed to Simona feeling a sense of belonging in Ireland. When, when I came over to Ireland, I felt that I wanted to become involved with the community. I am Romanian and I, I respect my community, but I didn't want necessarily to just um, be around my community only. So I got involved in a, in a coastal sport <laughs> because I am in Ireland. I wouldn't have had that chance back home. And I stayed because I love it. Um, I love the, the design of the boat. I love the community spirit. I love being part of the club. I got involved. I became, um, you know, I started volunteering. I, I chair the club now, which is which is interesting, <laughs> a bit paradoxical that a local Dunleary club has the, a Romanian as a chairperson. But I'm very proud of that. Um, and I feel I give back to the community and I feel I'm much healthier from a physical point of view and a mental health point of view um, and it also inspires me it inspires me to write one of the poems I actually wrote after meeting the boat maker and he explained to me the art of how to build one of these skiffs so the poem is called Mahogany Hates Fresh Water I build a boat to cross the sea and see exotic birds nest I made the keel out of mahogany. It took the better part of youth and childhood to mold the stem, 
fasten the bow, set in the stern posts, and shape the hull out of pine and silver spruce. I crafted oars, spurs, stretchers, fixed seats and a sail, like the hobblers of old, setting out to pilot ships through the shifting sands of Dublin Bay. I named her Valhaz, the stranger, and as she floated patiently in the harbour, she shone with seven coats of varnish. My kin joined in to wish me well on my journey, but as I set out, the tide turned. Instead of taking me across the sea, it brought me up through the estuary to the river mouth, to the place where rivers start. Each day became a journey back in time. The keel slowly gave way to rot under the ferocious density of unsalted ripples. I built a boat to cross the sea, but she sank on the river bank. I should have used oak. Mahogany hates fresh water. We have fought hard to make Ireland our physical home and our poetic home, but the concepts of home and identity will always be complicated for us. As a new identity is formed, we also fear what is being lost as part of the adaptation and assimilation process. We get a hint of that in Nithi Cass's poem, Things Slip Away. Things Slip Away I met a friend on Merriam Square. We drew the streets to Stephen's Green, chatting. Then I remembered I had a scarf, a cotton cloth with Cuba art. The bus pass was just left behind. The warmth of a lifeless woman. My grandmother would catch up with me with the things I left behind when I was a child. I have nothing of what was said between that's the thing, you know, and oh well, nothing to place on St. Stephen's damp green grass. Holding on to relationships and connections far away from us so that they don't slip away is a huge part of the migrant experience, something that Dagogo Hart reflects on in his poem Picture Perfect when he thinks of his younger brother in Nigeria. When I left Nigeria, I was 16, he was 11. He was pretty young, <laughs> yeah. And I missed a lot of, you know, crucial moments in his life. And now he's a 24-year-old man. <laughs> it's so different from, like, the 11-year-old boy. And even though, like, obviously, because we talk pretty much every day, I see him at least once or twice a year. Um, I've been there a lot. It's still not the same as, like, you know, being there physically every day, day in, day out. So the poem is essentially about what is it that connects us outside of being in the same physical space. Picture perfect. I remember our first camera. I, an 11 or 12-year-old, him, an acrobatic 6-year-old, so in love with Spider-Man. Our bedroom walls were everything from skyscrapers to streetlights. He would kick and flip, I would click and flash, taking pictures showing how he defied gravity. 
I guess things have changed a lot since then. Life has put an ocean between us. The irony of how I still view your life in pictures, a moment in time. Never showing all the times you didn't make the flip. What I'm saying is pictures will never show you cry. To be honest, I don't even know if you cry at all. Maybe we have that in common too. Too afraid to add tears to all this ocean between us. I wonder what you do when your heart bends or breaks. All I have to offer is a number and a please call me if you need to. I'll never see your eyes when you say, I'm fine. When brothers cannot be brothers, they find home in the language of strangers. But I've heard you speak. I heard you talk about dreams and ambitions and picking lemons from the tree of life because in some parts of the world life gives you nothing. You are still defying gravity. I've heard you laugh loud like our father and uncle and me and all the men that seem to always disappear. The other day I was looking through an old album and found a picture of you that I took and how I wasn't in the frame but somehow always in the picture. I guess now isn't too different from then. I guess pictures aren't so bad after all. I guess in some ways they are all the words that weren't said, all the tears that weren't shed and all the hands that weren't held. So take a picture today. Because tomorrow... It'll be all our proof of yesterday. Like Dagogo, Nithi Kasa is determined not to lose her connection with the people and country that have shaped her early life. The Congo is there every day as I move forward. It is a part of me. It's who I am. And it's not a question of having to choose between her identities in her poetry. I would say it's a balance between... Uh, my Congolese side and my Irish side. But I wouldn't really put it that way. I think it's a continuity of a life. There is no way of breaking it. So as I think about life, of course, feelings, um, circumstances, all of the events, it's pretty much connected. There is no breaking or picking a side. It's both. So I write about both equally. I take life as it comes and I write poetry honestly that way. Family, identity and the threads of heritage that weave through us make for complex feelings, explored in Paulina Cosgrave's poem, My Name Is. My name is. The name of an old man whose head was torn off by a bomb and whose body was left on the frozen soil of Stalingrad. The name of his wife, whose body slowly melted in times of hunger and cold. The name of their daughter, who carried her wounded child through the burning streets. The name of her husband, who was imprisoned by the country he fought for. The name of the little girl who survived the war and named me. The name of a little boy that came to rebuild the ruins of the city with one piece of bread in his pocket, which was stolen by a dog. The name of their son, who once bought me a bullfinch in a cage, so I could set the bird free. The name of his great-grandfather, who escaped from Nazi camp and got into a Soviet one as a punishment for cooperation with the enemy. The names of four Armenian siblings who lost their parents to typhus and moved to the devastated Russia to establish a new generation. The name of their father who had his name engraved on a gun revolver. 
The name of his wife, Siranush, which means love, the only name that should be given to a woman. The name of her great-granddaughter, who is the only reason I'm still here. The name of her younger brother, who's been tortured in the pre-trial detention for six months and the name of what's left of him afterwards. The name of his cousin, who's been beaten in the army for six hours and the name of what's left of him afterwards. The name of my cousin, whose heart stopped on New Year's Eve, the name of my grandfather whose heart stopped when I touched the Western Wall, the name of his niece whose cancer was as blistering as her passion for life, the name of her nephew who got a bullet in his head because he was Azerbaijani, the name of my friend who never woke up after her 19th birthday, the name of my friend who never woke up after her boyfriend threw her out of the window on International Women's Day, the name of my friend who never woke up after taking a pill, the name of my lover whose mind is murdered with drugs and depression, who goes into a war against his own madness each time he wakes up. The name of the unknown soldier on whose bones my hometown is built. I am so full of names. My name is a verb. My name is to awake. My name is to destroy. My name is Tsavatanam. I would take away your pain. Say it like it's yours. I went to visit Polina Cosgrave and her daughter Erica at her home in Arklo, or I asked Polina to tell me more about the origins of her poem My Name Is from her collection of the same title. I have written it when I just came here uh, and I was trying to explore what my name actually means, what the names of my relatives mean, and to preserve... Uh, for, for myself or for my family or for, you know, just the right in itself, um, that story. Because most of the people mentioned there are dead or uh, some of them died after I've written it, you know. So it, it means a lot to me. And I think that uh, in the future for my daughter, maybe she'd be interested in discovering what she is and why she's here. And actually, speaking of Erica, because I did want to ask you some questions um, about motherhood and poetry. So um, you were saying that when you wrote My Name Is, <laughs> and there's Erica right now. Yeah, there she is. <laughs> and after a pause for some singing with Erica. Booba finger, booba finger. Paulina and I continued our conversation. You mentioned that you had written uh, a fair amount of My Name Is while pregnant with Erica. And I'm kind of interested in hearing about, you know, parenthood and being a writer. Speaking of the, the pregnancy, I think that that was probably the most prolific time for me to write. I, I think I could uh, attribute that to, to the hormones, but also, you know, because you're not alone anymore in a sense in your body that kind of prompts the ideas and the, the creativity and because you feel responsible for what's going to happen next um, as of motherhood and writing. Gosh, that's, that's, that's hard. I think that's very hard. Not only because you can't really concentrate, uh, but because sometimes when you can, you'd really rather just relax. Uh, being a mother in Ireland, especially as a non-EU mother, has that changed uh, your ideas about identity and home? Especially because, you know, her 
identity and even paperwork wise is different from yours and her future and yours are bound together here. I, I love sometimes to, to show people her uh, birth certificate because on her father's side there's called grave and on my side it's all it's all um, very diverse. Uh, being her mother here actually feels uh, more comfortable and definitely safer than I'd feel in Russia. Yeah, and I like it. I, I like the fact that I can generally rely on uh, in here on the child minors and, you know, it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing. But, uh, of course, we're always missing out on something in here. We're missing a Russian family in there. You have to lose something. And that's pretty much exactly what your poem Tattoo kind of addresses about choosing home and thinking of what to erase, what to let go of when it comes to your memories. Do you want to maybe read this poem, Tattoo? Tattoo. Homeland is tattooed on my skin and the picture is changing in real time. Here is my school friend's fresh grave. Here is yesterday's theater student in a prison transport vehicle. Here are the ashes of Siberian forests. Here are the history books being rewritten. And here is the apple tree in my parents' garden blossoming, just like any other year. And it's my favorite part of the tattoo. One day I'll have the rest of it removed. As well as finding our place in a new country, all of us taking part in this program have been working to find our place in a new poetry community. Dagogo Hart found his way in through spoken word events. Paulina Cosgrave and some of the other writers here found a way into the Irish poetry world through the New Irish Communities Writing Group at the Irish Writer Centre, working with tutors Mark Granier and Jean O'Brien. I, I couldn't believe that we're all there. We're all interested that much uh, in the topic. We, we want to help each other, want to hear each other. For a lot of us, the next step is getting poems published. And a key publication for so many of us, including myself, has been the anthology Writing Home, The New Irish Poets, edited by Chiamaka and Niamadi and Pat Boren, and published in 2019 by Daedalus Press. For me, it was the first time my work was published in print, and also how I met Paulina, Raphael, Niffy, and many other migrant poets here. It was an unforgettable launch night in Poetry Ireland, the first time I'd been in a room with that many non-Irish artists since moving here in 2012. It really felt like a huge, pivotal moment in Irish poetry, in a room filled to the brim with migrant talent and joy. And now some members of this poetry community are taking the next step. Paulina Cosgrave published her first full collection, My Name Is, in 2020. I'm, I'm so grateful that... Deadless Press showed me the way. I mean, uh, Pat Born made it what it is. And Polina is only one of many more to come, such as Indian-born poet Nidhi Zakaria Ipe's collection Agris of a Minor God, published in 2021 by Faber, and Nifi Kassa and South African-born poet Nandi Jola, both having their debut collections published with Dara Press in 2022. This is, of course, only the beginning and better late than never. The next step is to have migrant poets and writers from other minority backgrounds and identities taking up decision-making roles within arts organisations, publishing houses and journals. As long as our communities are only on the receiving end of opportunities, 
and often still quite rarely and in tokenistic manners, not much can change. With the best of intentions, as long as the power structures of the institutions that control the future of Irish writing are not addressed and changed, we will always be the new and the other, no matter how many years or decades we live and work and create art here. I look forward to when the word new is no longer automatically attached to our identities. The Democratic Republic of Congo will always be a part of Nithi Kassa, Russia a part of Polina Cosgrave, Romania a part of Simona Sav, Brazil a part of Rafael Mendes, Nigeria a part of Dagogo Hart, and the countries I've grown up in a part of me. But none of us is one-dimensional, and Ireland is now a part of us too. And the world of Irish poetry is not one-dimensional. It can embrace multiple selves and complex strands of thought about identity and home and place. We are part of the story of Irish poetry and part of the story of contemporary Ireland. We have lost so much in our struggle to be here, but we have so much to gain and so much to give. Let's end with what Paulina Cosgrave has described as her love poem to Ireland. We have all said yes to this country, and all we really want is for it to say yes to us. Say yes. I love you in the mornings as sunlight passes through clouds making them shine from the inside. I want to marry the lemon color of your sky. You're full of gold, Ireland. Say yes. I love you when you're sad and grumpy and I can hear the rain playing war drums on the roof and the wind is about to knock down the walls. You're full of power, Ireland. Say yes. I love you when you're cold as stone, when you teach me how to warm the room with my voice. I love you when you sparkle with laughter, when you remind me that seriousness kills poetry. Nobody ever talked to me the way you do, Ireland. I love what you did to the English language, for in your mouth it is the language of humour and seduction. I know you've been through a lot, and I have come to tell you you're beautiful, and the best is yet to come. I promise to be true to you in good times and in bad. You are my perfect mirror that shows I can be so much more. You're full of life, Ireland. Say yes.